0: Dirty Bird Podcast contains foul language and is not appropriate for young fledglings. Listener discretion is advised. Our intro music is brought to you by Ricky Piston, a.k.a. Dick Piston. And our outro music is brought to you by the Sidewalk Slammers. Check them out wherever you get your music.
1: Are you looking for a podcast today?
2: Hello, and welcome to Dirty Bird Podcast, a podcast that's serious about birds, but nothing else. (laughs) I'm here today with Bill Wallauer. He's uh, the cinematographer and scientific advisor for the Jane Goodall Institute. Um, Hi, Bill. Thanks for being on the podcast.
3: Oh, thanks so much. It's great to be here.
2: Yeah, and Bill... um, Got linked up with me through my friend Chris, who is, was on actually the very first episode of Dirty Bird Podcast, um, and uh, I'm really excited to have him on the show. He's an uh, uh, experienced birder. He's been to some awesome places, and uh, I, I think i will have some great stories uh, today, and um, we'll have a lot to talk about.
3: Yeah, this will be a lot of fun. I've, I've been really looking forward to this. And uh, Chris uh, introduced me to your podcast, and I was so excited to see it. You've got some really, really neat stuff on there.
2: <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, so, Bill, do you mind just kind of telling my listeners just a little bit about yourself and what you do and how you got into birding and everything?
3: Sure. Um, I went to Oregon State University and studied ecology, um, and this was in the 80s. And, But I... I had been um a traveler my whole life my parents took me to some of the most amazing places growing up in the u.s we'd probably driven across the u.s two or three times before i was 12 years old Um, we always had the peterson's field guide with us (laughs) and we always uh, looked at interesting birds, but we wouldn't call ourselves birders at that stage. That kind of came later. Um, but they gave me a, a huge appreciation for for all things natural um, and the outdoors. And so it, it made sense to go to Oregon State. I, I grew up in Oregon and um, studied ecology and riparian resource management. And um, I learned um, that If you had a college degree, um, and I I combined that with a love of travel and culture, um, that you could join the Peace Corps with a college degree. Oh, awesome. Yeah, when I graduated, I pretty much immediately joined the Peace Corps. Where did they send you? And lo and behold, they sent me to Tanzania, which is... Where where I may, met Jane Goodall in 1989, I, I volunteered in the Peace Corps, and then I volunteered for Jane when I was waiting for my research clearance. Um, spent two years in the Salu Game Reserve um, with a fantastic birder um, called Neil Stronach. Um, he was he got his background in Serengeti, um, but was born and raised in in Tanzania, and his his whole family were great birders, and so that was my first real dose of incredible birding that is to say being out with somebody who knows every call and every bird and you go from that stage of being appreciator of birds Um, you you appreciate the kind of common birds but then you realize there's so much more going on out there and that's when it really got fun for me when i started recognizing species and recognizing calls and that started, I guess, um, now what, this 30-year wondrous journey um, through the avian world, meeting amazing people, um, seeing incredible success stories in terms of turning species from you know, near extinction to, to doing so well. And um, just this never-ending pursuit to, to observe birds. And so, um, it, but it all started, um, with just kind of a mentor to, yeah. um, um, another was Neil Baker who does the, um, breeding Atlas for Tanzania. And I, I went out with him a few times and so, what's going on here, all these amazing birders. And the way, the way Neil described the thing about birding is no matter where you go, almost anywhere in the world you go, you can walk out your door, any city, any county, any place you go. And see something amazing in right. your own backyard. Um, in a new place, you go for a walk. You find a little bit of green space, and you'll find birds there doing amazing things. And they don't have to be incredibly rare. To yeah. Me. Um, I, you know, I have my camera. I, I'm just kind of looking for you know individual expression and um, you know rare behavior or things that I've never seen before. Um, you know, I, I was blown away the first time I saw cedar waxwing. Um, pick a flower and basically hand beak to beak oh, flower yeah. to to his partner or partner. And, you know, back and forth, this flower went. It was just the most kind of magical, romantic <laughs> moment. And it, it, it really opened my eyes to that idea that, you know, these are feeling cognizant, emotional mm-hmm animals um you know just like we are yeah it's not not just chimps and the great apes it goes right through the animal (laughs) kingdom doesn't it yep
2: yeah and i know exactly what you mean with um it kind of you with that mentor who knew every bird call and kind of introduced you um i remember when i first got into birding it was almost like like it was this whole it was this invisible world that i could now see that this world that i kind of Been known, you know, I would see like a cardinal fly by or something, but didn't really pay much attention to. And the moment you start tuning into that, there's so much going on and constantly like, um, you know, and I remember one of the first times, uh, I was out birding and, uh, heard or or maybe just even on a walk but i heard some blue jays freaking out um down the trail from me and i I was like oh someone must be coming with their dog you know because i'd heard them make that noise before with with people walking with their dogs and sure enough you know someone came and it was like i had like a new superpower or something (laughs)
3: it it is totally like that and so for me i spent um you know the the after the peace corps i joined jane's group in uh in Gombe National Park in 1992. And for the next 15 years, I spent way more time with chimps um, and in the forest than I did with people. And so that was, my my superpower was um, learning chimp behavior and understanding chimp behavior and their calls specifically. Um, They have a specific snake raw call. And Uh when I took my wife there for the first time, um, we were just walking through the forest and um, the snakes were, I mean, the, the chimps were calling in the distance. Um, mm-hmm. And I said, Oh, they found a snake. And she just <laughs> looked at me, How could you possibly know that? <laughs> and sure enough, they had surrounded this kind of 12 foot long python. And wow. Apollo was like me, he was curious and looking around. Freud was like, you know, 10 feet away, he couldn't, he could care less. Um, (laughs) Some of the other chimps um, were, you know, with their babies keeping far back. Others were curious, um, kind of messing with the snake and throwing things down Mm -hmm. at the snake. And so, you know, in that, you know, first half hour in the forest, my wife experienced, you know, chimps um, experiencing every emotion with this, with this snake. And as time went on, I realized I could do the same thing with birds, that um birds have a lot of communications between species, not just yeah. their own species. But you know, when there's danger around, you know it. And so I started tuning in. You know, my, my snake finder were birds. And as soon as I heard three or four species alarm calling, um, sure enough. You know, and it's great if you're a guide, you know, if you're guiding people. Oh, there's a, there's a, snake yeah, there's a yep. it's like, how can you possibly know that? Cause <laughs> you're not differentiating the chimp or the, the, the bird yep. calls. And so sure enough, you know, there's a, there's a Jameson mamba up in that tree. And wow. um, it just, it's, it's just so much fun when you, when you go through that kind of metamorphosis of being, a lover of nature to being a real connoisseur. Yep. <laughs> and and that is to say that you start understanding systems and relationships and the way, you know, uh, and, and, it, and it has an eco- ecological impact as well, is the more we understand about birds and um, their role in the environment, you realize, gosh, if we lose just one species,
1: mm-hmm. you know,
3: an entire ecosystem could change yep. because that might be the integral species to distribute the climax tree species of that forest. We don't know all of these relationships. You know, we we know a handful, but we can't possibly know the nuances of these symbiotic uh, um, and beneficial relationships between species. And birds are a great, you know, uh, of all the species to be able to, to move seeds from one place to another, to move species from one place to another. The birds are it, aren't they? Right. Yeah, that mobility. Yes, that mobility. Yeah. So and so then it just becomes you know nature is wonder and awe yep. and uh, you know that's that's just something that um, is now you know almost all of my spare time I'm out you know I was I was. <laughs> filming peregrine falcons on a scrape this morning they just their their new babies are hatching um and it's a terribly exciting time of year as well as these waves of warblers and other songbirds coming through i'm in um, upstate new york okay um kind of the Syracuse, kind of central upstate New York, Syracuse area. But we've got the Finger Lakes, Adirondacks, just just so many different um, habitat types here from coniferous forest to Mm -hmm. um, deciduous forest, lots of bogs, lots of standing water. So, you know, you you don't have to go to the big... National, you know, wildlife preserves to see. You know, we were in we, we were in St. Mary's Cemetery last night for an hour and a half and saw twenty six species within, you know, just half half a mile walk. Yep, you know, yeah, yeah. Bam. <laughs>
2: the birds don't necessarily go to the wildlife area. Yeah. Like sometimes they're just right by the side of the road. You know, <laughs> like right next it, to a McDonald's or something.
3: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So it it just so much fun, and it, it, it's fun to meet other birders. Um, oh yeah. It, it's fun to share stories. You know, meet people like you. Um, and you know, just, just a few years ago, um, there, there's a theater here nearby that just for some reason, it's just the epicenter of some of the winter birds, like the uh, <laughs> evening grosbeaks, the red poles, all these birds oh, just congregate awesome. in Linda Salter's feeder. Everybody knows about it. So my <laughs> wife and I went there and we were, you know, had all our long lenses and so forth out. And there is another vehicle there. And, uh he as well was taking photos and so we were chatting back and forth and there'd been a hoary red pole around and you know, there's a lot of debate, you know, is there even a hoary red pole? And yes, there is. And no, there isn't. And you know, how do they look different?
2: Yeah. Those esoteric almost. Yeah. You know, all that
3: stuff. And so we chatted for a while. And he had an English accent. I wonder who he was. And it turned out to be Richard Crossley <laughs> Okay. who is like, you know, one of the great, uh, you know, Field guide. I, I yeah. really do enjoy his, the pictures that he has, the way he puts together in Photoshop um, these amalgamations of the different um, um, life stages of all the birds in his field guides. And, you know, it was just really fun to be out, you know, in the middle of nowhere and you find somebody who's just like in the in the top of their game as a bird. Or yeah. you, know, you can make a career out of this. You know, this is, yeah. this is something you can fall in love with and do the rest of your life you know
2: yeah me and my uh when we first got into birding me and one of my friends uh we went to a, a local park in williamsburg because he had randomly met a guy that uh an older gentleman that um and had a you know, he had the expect his interest in birds. The guy was like, you got to come out with us, you know, yes. the, in the, for a little birding walk. And, uh, you know, they had all the equipment, the long lenses. They had, you know, the best binoculars, the spot scopes. And, uh, you know, these two young guys just walking with them. They're pointing out everything. But it happened to be that uh, a guy that was like the top... Um, birder in Virginia, he was, like, leading, used some website to, like, track, you know, and, um, so he kind of, like, competitively birded, and, you know, he was getting ready for his big year also, so he, he could point out everything, and, like, uh, it was really cool to just kind of be around him, and, um, just kind of see that expertise, um, and, yeah, and we just, you know, randomly ran into him at a little, just walk that was open to the public in the, in the
3: park, so. Isn't it impressive when you meet somebody um, like one of my, one of the nice things about being in this part of New York is that Cornell lab is just down the road. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, I, I met a guy called drew Weber, um, who is the guy who wrote um, a, a lot of the code for like some of the, the e-bird stuff, the gotcha. um, Merlin bird ID. Mm-hmm. Um, he's involved in a lot of that, but I've met him at a wild birds. and you know, um, his wife was doing a PhD at, at Syracuse University or, uh, yeah, at ESF and um, at a local university. Mm-hmm. And he was, you know, he was selling us bird seed, but uh, <laughs> he later got this amazing job at uh, at Cornell Lab. And, wow. you know, th- this guy can just hear one of these little cheats uh, at night of the warblers mm-hmm. going over and know which <laughs> which warbler it is. It's like. I, my brain is just not like I'm way too much of a generalist. I'm, I'm yeah. kind of interested in everything. Um, mm-hmm. and you know, at the top of your part podcast, um, you said only birds. Well, I guarantee this podcast will be an exception yeah. <laughs> I'm already off into chimps and other snakes. And other oh, things. No.
2: You're totally so, fine. <laughs> uh,
3: but, uh, yeah, it's just so much fun to meet someone who is, is, is like that. Um, or, um, uh, you know, you're, you're asking about, you know, like, some of the amazing experiences. And if you are a birder um, and in, enjoy awe, like, like being just awed to breathtaking experience,
2: mm-hmm. you have
3: to spend uh, three or four days on the Platte River during the height of the migration. Um, our friends at the Fr- Crane Trust in, uh, in Nebraska um, along the Platte, have hosted Jane Goodall and, and our guests. You know, I, I lead a trip there with Scott Widensall who's uh, like the world's leading authority on migratory migrations and migratory birds.
0: Wow.
3: And he's another one of these guys. He's just a walking font of information, encyclopedic mind um, that just blows our guests away. <laughs> um, and we spend time, we, we take our guests in the dark into this blind um, mm-hmm. in, in the morning. And the light starts to come up, and this golden ball, this golden R orb of the sun starts to come up, and you see these shapes on the water and this cacophony of sound. Oh. And you realize there's 25,000, 30,000, maybe even 40,000 cranes in front of you. That is amazing. And it, it, it is mind-blowing, especially when you think that just 100 years ago, there might have been 18,000 left on the planet. Yeah. and Are these sandhill cranes? or Sandhill cranes. Yeah. Wow. Sandhill cranes. And it, it is, you know, there's, you know, they, they've been saying 600,000 now for so many years. It's probably closer to a million in population, up from around 18,000 Wonderful. in like 1918. It's a must-do trip. And the the other cool thing about going to see the cranes is you get to go see conservation in action Mm -hmm. so you you get to meet the people who are saving the cranes you know actively every day um our our friend bryce uh, cohen and andy Cavan are doing research looking at buying property um and putting that aside for grasslands because of course the cranes relied on these huge um um Wild grasses, you know, masses and masses of wild grasses, right? And now that's all been replaced by corn. And the efficiency of the corn, you know, harvest is so great that there's not as much food left behind. Yeah. And so, you know, you have, and the the the, the river isn't as deep, so you not only have to manage the river for kind of being that the the Platt has a saying, being a mile wide and an inch deep. <laughs> the cranes need that. That nighttime roosting habitat, which they can wade in, you know, a yeah, foot of water or less,
2: to be safe from predators and everything. Yeah. And so that
3: takes a lot of management with all the damming yep. that we've done and yep. and all the trees that grow. And you know, everything has changed. And so, you know, these people have dedicated their lives to habitat restoration and that's um, awesome. The, the propagation of cranes. And so, yeah, if if, if I have a shout out, it's it's to people like that who are just kind of dedicating their life to making the world a better place for birds. Oh, for sure. Yeah,
2: and um, I love that description being, you know, the dawn rising and starting to hear the birds. Like, some of my favorite moments um, are just forcing myself to wake up early and heading out to, like, a little sit spot that I have, you know, in the woods or something, and uh, and just sitting down and experiencing the that dawn chorus um, as the sun rises. And it's just – and, you know, if you start there in the dark, then the birds don't really – care about you that much you know so yeah. you get to see some amazing things um it's really
3: wonderful i encourage everyone to go try that you know it's worth waking up early it really is and it, and i really like that point because you know what chimps you know and jane's work did for me is that realizing that every individual out there is her or his own individual with their mm. own personalities their own reactions to um, stimulants and, you know, whatever they experience. right. You know, no two birds will react exactly the same way to the same, um, to the same external force. Um, and you know, in chimps, you see them reacting to forces of nature, like lightning and waterfalls. They dance in front of waterfalls. (laughs) They're having these strong emotional reactions. They mourn their dead. And I, I, I've been thinking over the years and, and as much time as I've spent with birds, you know, we see um, we've seen Cardinals yeah um, I was just the female to say. Cardinals standing over a mate who was you know their, their partner who was dead yeah um, obviously grieving in the same way that the chimps you know will go into very you know clear depression you know they stop eating they stop traveling um, we've even seen chimps die of depression in the oh loss of a mom and wow and so Even our emotions aren't unique to to us. They they go right through the animal kingdom. And then once you get to that level, you start looking like a crane expressing herself out in the river. (laughs) So everybody else, I I have a great shot that all of these cranes, like 10,000 cranes are moving this way all of them moving this way and right in the center of that tin palace. And you see this head sticking up and she's walking the other way. <laughs> she's like, like, Nope, I'm my own cigarette. individual. I've yeah. got my own thing going on. <laughs> and when you start seeing that stuff, you see more and more and more of it.
0: Right. And so,
3: and, and gosh, that's what makes it fun. You know, for, for kids who get into birding. Yeah. So I got to spend time in, on hog Island um, in, during one of the arts Um, courses on hog island this is um, the oldest audubon camp in maine and it's just phenomenal but i overlapped with a group of these like red hot young birders they were like 14 to 18 and blew me away you know everything (laughs) that they heard and saw they knew instantly um and it's just so great to see the next generation getting involved and so you know a lot Mm -hmm. of what You know, Jane's work is, you know, you've got to involve the next generation in a love of nature, compassion to each other and to nature and conservation.
2: Well, I got to say, that's kind of why I started this podcast, too, because like I I love what the Cornell Lab puts out. They have like a bird note podcast um, and uh, and there's some other ones out there. But for the most part, I was like. One, I want, like, a long-form pod- podcast that just goes into an individual species and, t- you know, tells me everything. And then, two, yeah. I want one where, you know, they talk like a real freaking person, like, the w- way you would, like, over some beers or something. And that, yes. like, especially appeals to me being, you know, I'm 28, but I like to think of myself as, you know, on the younger side. And uh, mm-hmm. um, so, and then I was like, well, crap, I guess I just got to, you know, create my own. So, um, but, uh, yeah, definitely, Uh getting people involved, you know, younger generations. Um, when you were first getting into birding in, um, Tanzania, was there like a bird that was kind of like, like sealed the deal for you or a behavior you saw?
3: Well, I, I was, I was thinking about that and you know, one of the birds that, that sealed the deal for me, you know, I was probably nine years old. So I'm going to go back in time a little bit and birding with mom and dad. Uh-huh. um, that we were lucky enough to grow up in, in, in farm and ranch country. So, Joseph, Oregon, which is in the Northeast, and then, you know, Southwest down in the Grants Pass, um, Josephine County area. Okay. So, always, always outside. Um, and we had a beautiful pond on the property, and um, of course, all the horses and chickens and all that stuff. But this pond brought in dozens of species of waterfowl. And so to see wood ducks out there was oh, just, you know, I, I'd sit on the barn roof. So we had a big hay barn <laughs> and I'd lie on the barn roof and the flight line to land was five feet over my head. Oh. And so I would lay there and these birds would just come whistling. You can't believe the sound
0: yeah. that
3: wood ducks and the other ducks, um, when they're locking their wings up, it's, it's almost deafening. <laughs> um, but that moment that I, I, we were at the breakfast table, an apileated woodpecker landed on the suet bar. And the suet bar was close to the house. And to see a bird of that size and splendor at that close range as a nine-year-old yeah. was kind of a game-changer. It's like <laughs> my appreciation for birds and respect for birds, that even at that moment, was mind-blowing. Um, and then back to, to Africa, like once you kind of cut your teeth on birding in the U.S., and then you go to the, the, the tropics and yeah. you see the varieties of birds <laughs> there. You're like, whoa, um, this is Whoa, <laughs> I mean... Um, one of them was the, I I love the ground hornbill, which is a bird with, um, insane eyesight. Like you cannot sneak up on these. Is that what Zazu is in Lion King? Isn't he a ground hornbill? Um, he's pro- yeah, he's a, I, I, I'm not great with movies. <laughs> he, he may be. Um, I, I know he's
2: a hornbill because in he, in one of the songs they reference that. But, they uh, reference yeah. him as a I don't so think they sorry. specify yeah. what.
3: <laughs> no, you're good. I am, I am a total dud when it comes to talking about movies. I get you're movie. good. Uh, sorry. <laughs> okay, sorry. <laughs> sorry be. to
2: interrupt you. but So there's ground hornbill.
3: So ground hornbills and then... The the cuckoos. Um, oh yeah, I, I started learning. You know the cuckoos, the um, claws cuckoo, and the emerald cuckoo. Uh, it's the claws cuckoo that really. My my dad and I, when we were out and about, we had this whistle. Um, that you know, rather than yelling, I we we never liked loud noises. We were right. always cu- quiet in nature and mm-hmm. respectful. And if we got separated, we had these series of whistles, um, mm-hmm. which. As it turns out, we're almost identical to the ca- calls the claws cuckoo, oh. and so when I heard the claws cuckoo, I was just kind of blown away. It was yeah, like, God, this is fun. That's so <laughs> um, awesome. And you know, there's dad. You know, yeah, and it, it, I would feel like answering because you know I was listening to my dad respond um, to 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 me or call me. Um, so yeah, that wow. was another. Um, and then the the. One of the birds that's just mind-blowing is the African broadbill. And it does this, um, it's not actually a vocalization, it's the wings um, Hmm. flutter so quickly, they do this (laughs) and to impress their their potential mate or partner, they sit on a branch and they do a perfect circle that's just like, and it's a half second. From sitting to doing the circle of landing again is all in about a half second. Holy cow. And there's an amazing z with that. Wow. And that is
2: awesome.
0: Yeah, that's just amazing to watch. <laughs>
3: amazing. Um, the African jacana with its gigantic feet, um, another <laughs> one, just walks around on water. I mean, there, there's the Jesus bird and the jacana is it. <laughs>
2: wow. Oh, yeah. I have seen, They can I walk seen. on water.
3: Yeah, that's insane. Um, it is insane. But then also, um, the familiar birds like osprey and, you know, to see Yes. as a kid, you think, you know, these birds are North American birds. I mean, yeah. they African, see nothing, but there are peregrine falcons and osprey all over the world. Yeah. And so to, to get to see familiar birds as well was a lot of fun.
2: Yeah. I remember um, being in England. I haven't done too much international travel, but I remember when in England, I went, um, made a point to go out, um, birding, and, um, you know there it, it was like being on an alien planet because or like a bizarro world because you know everything was like a little bit similar but but different you know with like yeah. the long-tailed tits and the blue tits and then like with the woodpeckers i'm like you kind of look like something i know but you know you're yeah. you're different um but then yeah i would see something like uh in osprey and like i'd be like oh you know hello yes. old friend i know like, one <laughs> yeah
3: so much fun um and you know in in africa it is mind-blowing that way because um you you really when you start you kind of start from scratch and there was you know when i first got started there there weren't very many guides um, yeah bird guides it was just the kind of williams guide um published in nairobi and it was kind of based on the peterson model Mm -hmm. now there's some fantastic guides um and there were some older ones like and grant like i if you're lucky enough to be old enough to know who they were (laughs) um they were kind of early colonialist birders but um now there's some fantastic um you know both birding apps and bird books that you can get but you know back then it was kind of more writing down notes and memory um Mm and hoping you knew somebody who knew these yep. birds. But but <laughs> most of the times um, I had no idea who I was seeing and hearing. And yep. it was just kind of exploring. Um, the sunbirds are certainly worthy. Uh, there are the, Africa's um, kind of parallels um, family to the hummingbirds. Oh, um, okay. So tiny little birds, but with a little bit of a hook bill, hmm. um, but also with, incredible crimsons and you know metallic greens and blues um another another family the starlings Um, you don't realize that there's anything more than the european starling which gets a lot (laughs) of um, you know bad press here and for good reason (laughs) yep um you go through the the bird book in africa and there's like four pages of starling from the superb starling who's my favorite um to uh, yeah these these amazing starlings yeah and they got some more color variety there too huge color variety um and oh who else do i just um the 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 trogans there, like if you've oh, ever yeah. been to Arizona to Madeira, Ramsey Canyon and been lucky enough to see our elegant trogan, um, there's a bird that you know evolved there called um, the uh, was it Nyrena's trogon. Okay, and they're almost clones of one another. There's a little bit more striping on wow. the elegant, but but they're they're virtually identical. And if you've ever seen a, a Nirena's trogon or an elegant trogon, you you words can't describe the emerald green and the bright reds of these birds you know it's another one of those ah moments that you're just kind of blown away just by the appearance of this bird
2: yeah yeah that is
3: that is awesome um where where else have your travels taken you so it's funny that um our our family now travels for birding. And, and <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's really interesting that, you know, once I came back from Tanzania and shared this kind of shared appreciation for birds with my family members, they got more and more into it. Um, and you know, one of the highlights of, of my year is I, I live on the East coast now, mom's still on the West coast is, mm-hmm after our two days of backyard feeder watch, we share all of our notes, you know, <laughs> that's simple, but sweet. And yeah. it, you know, it's just so much fun and it keeps us so close. Um, because <laughs> do you, do you get competitive with it at all or, you know, no, or I'm, it's more I, or jealous at all. Like, Oh, you got to see it. <laughs> I'm, we're, we're super happy for each other. Yeah. Like if, if she gets something, um, And a a little bit sad when, you know, if she's seen 18 species and I've seen eight, something like that. (laughs) Yeah. But but we're usually pretty close kind of, um, you know, in that two day period in the middle of the winter, you know, 14 Mm -hmm. to 16 species. Um, And so we're, we're kind of more rooting for each other. and, And, you know, she, she's, had a few that were kind of the the first of season Um, she's got a beautiful property and you know she's another one of these great examples that they have 10 acres outside of Portland Oregon now that they share with you know my wonderful sister's family it's kind Mm -hmm. of the Waltons that I'd go home and you know just because of me working with Jane and um, how do you get involved well you use your your own property as habitat. So they started to do wildlife habitat on this. You know, they split the 10 acres in two and they have the wildlife habitat now, which is like four and a half acres of this amazing habitat. And so you can go out there and see 30, 40 species in a morning. Um, It's just phenomenal. Um, And so, and yeah, she gets a lot more activity. I'm in like downtown Syracuse. And so Mm -hmm. on the same note, I've tried to do the same kind of thing. What can you do with a yard that was like a tradition American lawn? Yep. How can you make that into something spectacular? And yeah. it's through planting native plants. And so, so we what, what, both got into that. So we, we, go ahead.
2: Oh, I was just going to ask like what kind of, what was like your first step? Like uh, just kind of thinking like someone has like a, a yard in their backyard right now. Like what, what was kind of like your first steps for helping transform it into a, a
3: wildlife preserve? So Doug Tallamy is kind of the, the bringing nature affiliated. Oh yeah. There he is. So yeah, that was, that was affiliated shouting out for Doug Tallamy who um, (laughs) he wrote this amazing book called bringing nature home. And now he's got a new book. Um, It's about like you're using your own property as kind of a game changer. And his point is, um, you know, National parks are kind of the the cornerstone of of kind of protection and wildlife management right in North America. And yet our lawns are the biggest crop in North America. that is to <laughs> say, millions and millions and millions of acres. Yeah. Um, if we all started, you know that first step, you know, plant a native oak tree, white mm-hmm. oak, great species, Support five hundred and seventy insects. if you if you plant an exotic, Maybe, maybe that supports, you know, 70, 100 um, Mm. different species of insects. And of course, you know, the reason um, is because all of these birds that we're talking about evolved with these native species. Right. And you bring in a new species. Not only could it be invasive and take the place of, you know, if you look at the forest floors in the, the northeast now, it's covered with Norway maple. Mm. not much else gets a, a get can get a leg hold in there now when when norway maple's taken over so that's one but two it also you know that single norway maple you might p- plant will take the place of a species that could provide habitat for literally thousands of individuals right uh, you know and through her lifetime you know tens of thousands of individuals so mm-hmm. it starts with one one plant put in a pollinator garden Put in some coneflower or, you know, get on board with the monarch um, oh, yeah. um, uh, milkweed. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it's just so much fun. You know, turn a little bit of your lawn. It's not that much work. Turn a little bit of your lawn into um, a, a, a little uh, oasis for um, butterflies. And the mm-hmm. birds will start to come. I mean, now I have a, a major water feature in my front yard um, with with a pond and, you know, 20-foot stream. And that circulates um, probably thirty or forty species of native plants in the front yard. In the awesome. backyard, has just gone crazy. You know, you actually feel like you're in a national park in the backyard with the That's sounds. That's wonderful. <laughs> and and, it, and it's we're just you know not very far from Syracuse yeah. University. And I, I think I'm up to sixty seven species who've used you know like particularly some some aspect, whether nesting or. Um, food, water, yeah. um, um, I made sure that there, there's not a lot of uh, thermal cover here, so I made sure to put some evergreens in so that, wow. you know, these upstate New York winters are pretty harsh. So <laughs> yep. conifers, um, piles of brush, so I, I steal all the neighbor's Christmas trees and I create <laughs> these these little um, hiding places for, for birds. Um, it's, it's just little things you can do, and, yeah. and it all builds from planting that first tree and and seeing the impact of that
2: yeah and speaking of water too um you know everyone thinks like bird feeders to attract birds but i mean usually the birds are fine finding food on their own like they don't really need you to be putting out food but i mean water is like always a thing that's hard um clean water so Really, like a bird bath, you're probably going to spend less than you would on bird seed. You know, just filling that with water, and um, that's probably going to attract a lot more birds than than even the feeder would, and help them out a lot more too.
3: Indeed, especially. I mean, it's a it's a really good point that you know, as far as the first step as as giving some habitat for for birds, particular in particular, that fresh water, particularly in the wintertime, when there's very little standing fresh water, mm-hmm. <clears throat> historically there would have been lots and lots of streams around. And so if you, mm-hmm. if you think of this from an ecological point of view, what happens when you put a city in? You make channels and you, you lose all of your little tiny, meandering, fast-flowing tertiary streams. Right. And so the birds struggle for a place to bathe and, and drink. And mm-hmm. just putting a little bit of uh, water feature with a little heater in, in the wintertime so that you have some standing water can be absolutely just as important or if not more more important than putting food out that's a, yeah. it's a really good point and it's so much fun so i i have a blind in the back and oh, nice. i sit in the blind at the base of the stream and i've filmed probably 30 species drinking and bathing um, in our stream and wow. and it's really fun because yeah. I, I i didn't know anything about you know, chimp's or cinematography when I started, and now, you know, I have worked on you know, like series like The Planet Earth. You know, I I I, I, I know what I'm doing now, for, in, in terms of cinematography, and so I could go out with my own kind of run and gun equipment and get like world class looking footage in my own backyard, and it's so much fun to combine that love of nature with my love of cinematography and, and creating stories through my lens. Yeah. Um, it, it's just, and then sharing that. I mean, that's just it. Um, yeah. Both sharing the footage of either, whether it be chimp behavior, uh, which <laughs> blows people's minds or bird behavior, you know, people yeah. have never seen this, you know, that, that, that sequence I shot of the cedar wax wing sharing a flower. People will say, I, I've seen cedar wax my whole life. I had mm-hmm. no idea they did this. Um, Kristen and I do a lot of kayaking and shooting, uh, my wife and I. And, you know, if you're not the bipedal human, you can get closer to wildlife. Right. And um, But, you know, stay respectful mm-hmm. so they don't flush. But you can see things you might not see otherwise. And so I'm really into animals tool use non non-human animal tool use yeah um, that was one of the big breakthroughs that jane witnessed chimps manufacturing making and using tools most mm-hmm. people don't know when they see a green heron that they are a brilliant tool maker they will mm-hmm. actually catch a, a dragonfly wound a dragonfly use it as and bait. use that as yes. bait yes and <laughs> catch frogs and fish i mean yep. that That's is so cool. brilliant.
2: i i did an episode on a uh, brown headed nut hatches <laughs> and um it, for such a small bird it really surprised me uh that they will use pieces of bark and like kind of carry it around with them and, yeah. and use it to pry out bugs and um I've been fortunate enough to be able to witness it a few times too and just like it's so cool and like you I don't know when you're I remember as a kid you know when you're learning like the history of you know everything you know it's like this yeah stone age we you know we went from stupid animals when we started using tools and that's what separates us from everything. It's like, no, not really.
3: <laughs> no, nope. Those walls came tumbling down as soon as I started hanging out with chimps. And now, you know, with, with that same love, um, of, of birds and other species, then you realize, uh, no, it's right through the animal kingdom there. You know, the, the stupid animal idea is just stupid. I mean, yep. they are brilliant at being who they are. And that's just it. Like, it, There's always been this idea of human exceptionalism and that we are better. And that allows us to do unconscionable things to them. Right. Which is why we kind of put ourselves up on the pedestal. But in fact, if you tried to navigate the forest, I don't care how many years you spend there, <laughs> you will never have a mental map like a chimp of that forest. Mm-hmm. You will never have that. You know, yeah. chimps are way better at things, you know, birds as well. Fish yep. as well. They, it's not just instinct. They are problem solvers. Animals are problem solvers. We wouldn't be problem solver uh, solvers if non-human animals weren't problem solvers. Mm-hmm. We wouldn't have emotions if non-human animals didn't have emotions. We are part of that circle. We're yeah. not. We're not at the pinnacle of some linear line. Um, yep. And then, you know, once you have that kind of respect and don't kind of put yourself like, I'm so much smarter than them. Um life becomes so much more fun because you, you get this appreciation and openness to ideas that even science has shut us off from before that, you know, we were told in, in our books, like everything is this kind of Darwinian instinct, (laughs) blah, blah, blah. And they play so that they can get stronger and defeat their foes. They play because it's fun. Give me a break. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I've seen, you know, Many species playing with toys and tools. Pigs. I love pigs. Yeah. Warthogs fighting and playing over, you know, playing hide-and-seek and, and keep-away um, with with a uh, um, gazelle hide. Tug-of-war wow. back and forth. And just like, you know, if if they had hands, they would do what chimps do. And that's yep. like play tug-of-war with a vine. They were using their mouth and they were throwing with their mouth and catching with their mouth it's just that we're built differently that we don't understand. And we said, right. well, chimps are our closest living relatives. And, you know, so, you know, they're the next smartest. Well,
0: dolphins, yeah, whales, yeah. Yeah.
3: and right through the animal kingdom yeah, to the uh, other. Ravens. Yeah. yeah. Ravens. Oh yeah. my goodness.
2: Um, one of, one of my favorite animal plays with birds is um, with uh, uh, barn swallows or, or maybe tree swallows. I forget which one, but um, they'll grab feathers and um, I've watched them do this. They do it, especially over water. I've noticed. And they'll, have a feather and kind of like one of them will drop it from high up, and then the other ones will go and try to grab it, and they'll kind of compete and keep playing this game with the feather floating around and them grabbing it.
3: Wow, wow! It's So yeah, another East African spirit um, species, um, the 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 Cape Raven. I love ravens. Like yeah. the, the coves are mind blowing and mm-hmm. kind of my spirit animal because growing up in the Wallawas, you would be off in the middle of nowhere, and to have that deep <laughs> of the raven echoing up and down a valley is again just to, to me it it's kind of that sound of home so anytime i hear a raven call i just kind of <laughs> feel um this kind of deep spiritual feeling yeah. um and so to get to see the pied crows and the the, the cape ravens um another one is a lammergeier um this it's massive hmm. uh bird of prey um and then all of the 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 vultures there. Oh, yeah. My goodness, it's so much (laughs) fun. So, I, I would get to see a lot of wildlife following vultures. And in the Salu, you know, Peace Corps, I I didn't really have a vehicle, so I had a mountain bike, and so I'd bounce around the Salu Game Reserve on this mountain bike, following the thermals and following the vultures when they when they found a kill or saw lions kill something. Wow. I would go and get to see the action.
2: That's so cool. <laughs> and, yep.
3: and so, um, you know, I was I was kind of. I did, do you know what a honey guide is in Africa? Yes. Yep. And uh, yeah, I was going to ask you if you so, had ever. Followed a honey guide while you were there. <laughs> they're fantastic. So a honey guide, uh, for the people who don't know, um, is a bird who has a symbiotic relationship with the honey badger, which is this kind of famous, um, <laughs> quite fun um, badger, um, voracious uh, animal. Yep. And, and just, you know, they're they're adorable as well. I love them. They're very smart, um, as, as, you know, as all animals are. Um just just bright and fun to be around. Mm-hmm. And they have this symbiotic relationship with the honey guide in which the honey guide will lead the badger to a beehive. And then the badger will break open the beehive and the honey guide will um, yeah, have access to all that yeah. food. So, <laughs> so it helps both of them. And so humans, um, probably tens of thousands of years, if not longer ago, started following the honey guides as well. The honeybees would benefit for the same reason. The humans would tear open and you know get the honey, harvest the honey, and the the hive would be open for the honey guide. And so, um, for me, the the. The, the, the vultures were my honey guide to wildlife, you know, predator carcass activity. <laughs> the, the carcass guide, not so symbiotic. Yeah, but um, but for me, you know, I would I would follow these circles of vultures around and, and get to see some amazing, like wild dogs, which are hard to see in, in other situations. I would mm. I would sit, you know, part of being a cinematographer is patience. You know, right. being able to sit in the same place for hours and hours and hours on end. And I have just the right mind that um, I can I can live in my own head pretty easily. So I don't mm-hmm. need external um, distractions and just kind of focus on waiting um, and observing what's going on around me. Right. So I'll be happy to sit at the base of my creek in the backyard for three hours and you know not leave or watch these falcons um, sitting on the nest for that one moment that the male brings uh, a dead bird and there's a prey exchange in the air. I just filmed my my first prey exchange in the air um, two days ago, which is just so much fun. (laughs) Yeah, Um, And so, you know, it it just all becomes this, um, you know, choose what you love to do um, and then just keep doing it and keep learning. and, And it becomes almost a way of life. Um, as much as anything and you know just like the, the backyard habitat management you know i'm i'm learning and planting um and learning from indigenous knowledge here you know what did you do with all of these plants i mean the pharmacy was the forest and the swamps and so all of these areas and all these places i've made around the yard are food and medicine for the the onondaga nation we're living on onondaga nation land um, and it's so much fun to get information from, you know, they are the ultimate local experts on these relationships and they have the proper respect for them as well. Yep. That, you know, they, they you know, it, it, it's this great opportunity to learn.
2: Uh, in the show, I usually always try to seek out uh, Native American cultural stories about whatever bird I'm talking about. And it is incredible how, uh, you know, I remember reading some of these stories as a kid, you know, and I think if you don't know about birds reading these stories, they seem kind of silly, like, you know, it'll be like, oh, I don't know, the heron flipped over a wolf on his back or something, yeah, and, yeah. and it seems just kind of arbitrary, but then, like, when you go into it with the lens of knowing about the bird species, you're like, oh, my God, they're capturing, like, either this behavior or this certain aspect of the bird perfectly, um, yes. and also yes. imparting knowledge that is useful for either hunting or navigating Um uh along with it like I, I remember one i did on the bard owl and a story about the bard owl and um it uh uh it, like the bard owl gets married and uh he keeps bringing his wife fish and she's like i want something other than fish to eat and um and uh, in my research of a bard owl you know they they will prey on like crayfish and, and fish and stuff like that um much more than other owl species so like they really like imparted that a very like nuanced detail that would be very difficult to know um and so i, I just think it's incredible and just yeah you know, it's it's 10 you know 15,000 years of knowledge that's uh all together and it's just it does sadden me too how thinking about how much is lost um and uh and like how much knowledge that was out there that is now gone um so yeah a little bit of a downer note there, but I mean, I, I do really respect and, and love when I get to access some of those stories.
3: Absolutely. And yeah, I, I was um, lucky enough um, to get to visit um, a, 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 a the Aquasazi Mohawk grade school um, is a full immersion Mohawk school um, and Great. no English is spoken there. And um, uh, I, I got to meet the science teacher who was telling stories about the, through the eyes of the different brothers and sisters in the forest. And, you know, and that's what I love about, you know, Haudenosaunee culture or Iroquois culture is that, you know, the, the there's a really, <laughs> really fun, um, you know, piece of wisdom that we got from one of the, the local leaders, um, Said that I just don't get white people. They go into the forest for solitude, and <laughs> he said I go in. For the, I go into the forest for company. He uh-huh. said I am surrounded by family when I'm in the forest. Like, there's awesome. there's never more that. creatures, more brothers and sisters and family members than when I'm in the forest. Wow, isn't that powerful? It's yeah. so spot on. Like how Holy could you God. possibly think that you're alone in the forest? Yeah. You are around more organisms in that forest than any city block you've ever been in. And yeah. it, it's just that, you know, imparting that indigenous knowledge that's deep within all of us. You know, it, it's not that many generations ago that we were living indigenously in Europe, you know, mm-hmm. that probably 20 generations or 30 generations yeah. ago. We had to live in small communities and we absolutely relied on that respectful relationship with nature. We've Mm -hmm. gotten away from that because of mass production industrialization. We can go back to that. I think that's the big secret is that it one, it's way more fun. It's way more healthy (laughs) and you can build economies based on that kind of sustainable philosophy of kind of local vorism and responsible buying. And, you know, it isn't that hard, you know, it's Mm -hmm. just stop making the same mistakes we've made over and over and over and you know, we heard another really interesting line, um, and that was, "Tell me what you need, and I'll tell you why you don't need it." <laughs> um, and it's it's kind of about being a minimalist. And and mm-hmm. you know, as as a Peace Corps volunteer, and then my wife and I lived in Tanzania for ten years in a kind of one room hut. Yeah. And we had more entertainment and joy by opening our eyes to nature um, than you know we ever have. You know, watching series on tv and you know being mm-hmm. being entertained um through um you know uh, false media or some kind of you know media i guess would yeah. be the right <laughs> word for it <laughs> i mean there there's so many stories going on you know at your fingertips um, yeah. just walking outside so yeah
2: yeah it's uh to kind of go back to that when i first got into birding and everything it it's not just about the birds I mean the birds are I've described this before they're kind of like a vehicle to just observing the whole world around you more you know because then you're paying attention to what plants they're in you know what yeah. uh, oh they're raising a ruckus oh because there's a snake there or you know there's a yeah. uh, you know some kind of a coyote or something you know it,
3: yeah. uh, maybe
2: you're lucky enough to see like a weasel or something uh, just it's That's incredible right. um, and uh, and even we, we kind of talked about this in the beginning too but even if you're in, like, a a very suburban or maybe even an urban setting, like, there's wildlife around you, especially birds. They're able to, you know, there's not going to be, like, a wolf walking down the street, but the birds, they're able to, because they're so mobile, they're able to kind of come into the city from other areas, maybe from a park or something. And uh, so you can see them. um, A lot of invasive species, but um, also, you know, plenty of other ones that, like, peregrine falcons uh you know they'll be in like they're in new york city like it's incredible
3: yeah no it's it's really fun to have found falcons nearby and um you know there's just it's it's a great community of birders up here and um you know again drew saw a glimpse of a um short-eared owl flying near onondaga lake so so we have this beautiful you know Haudenosaunee, the Onondaga Lake, um, was, you know, sacred space for the Onondaga people. Um, and of course it's, um, uh, one of these super fun sites, one of the most polluted lakes on the planet mm. because of industrialization. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the West side now has access. It was much better off before access, but there's a place that I can get to that. I know that I can find, um, short-eared owls and because he'd seen one i went there the next morning and while i was waiting i saw you know three bucks come out right in front of me i, I was hiding in the vegetation that's that's uh-huh. what i do and so i know how to do it really well um and i shot this amazing footage of these bucks playing you know all oh, morning wow. long as they you know they were they were foraging, they were eating they were finding yeah. food but they were spending much more time just kind of <laughs> they pick off one another and Butt one another and push one another and buck and yeah. have fun. They were playing and having fun. And then after they left, um, and I'm not used to this. I'm I'm a West Coaster, I'm used to a quite a small coyote. Um, massive coyote came trotting by, and I filmed this. You know, they they're part wolf. You know, you, yeah. you say you don't always see a wolf. You're seeing part wolf when you see Eastern Coyote. Yeah. Um, part wolf, part dog. That's right. And, and so well, this this was absolutely part wolf that big long lope that that the wolves have and you know this is in you know again downtown Syracuse um, the cemeteries here are fantastic both Oakwood mm. and St. Mary's cemeteries um, I've seen mm. fox coyote um, you know lots of the smaller species um, and then you, you start getting into those you know you like well, I wonder where the den is. And so yeah. then I would find myself both birding and, you know, looking for other wildlife <laughs> as well. Yep. Um, and as you say, you know, the, the more understanding you have of the, the vegetation um, and the cycles of the vegetation, um, mm-hmm. the, the better birder you're going to be, because, you know, you're going to know when things are going to start flowering. Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to know who likes those species. And so if you have somebody who comes, I've always wanted to see a prothonotary warbler you get to know where to go and find that war or cerulean war. you know, some of these rare birds. Yeah. Um, me, I'm not, I'm not so much of a twitcher. I'm not so much, I, I did go out to Cape May to see the whiskered turn, but <laughs> that, that was because of my birding friends, but I, I am much more, I, I get just as much fun, you know, of yeah. watching the interactions between species in, in my own backyard. Um, so yeah, awesome. it's just all so much fun.
2: <laughs> so you're not one, you don't, you don't think you'll ever do, like, a big year or anything like that? That doesn't really sound like No,
3: I, I only list for... Because I have such a terrible memory, and just to remember... It's more for data than anything. Mm-hmm. Um, I have no idea how many birds I've seen, um, and it doesn't matter to me. Um, I, I will... I I would prefer to see something that I've never seen before than Mm -hmm. a bird I've never seen before, if that makes sense. So a common species that does something extraordinary that I didn't know about, like that that green heron moment um, when my wife and I are sitting in a kayak and, you know, you, you see this unfold before you with, you know, catching one you know insect to to catch a bigger um prey species which was the frog you know that's that is mind-blowing um yeah whereas you know the the rare birds you know a lot of the time that's just some poor bird that's been blown off course um Mm. and probably you know um you know doesn't always do very well yeah (laughs) because you know what are they going to do um and, and so you know Bolstering my list isn't important to me, but I get why it is for other people. Um, and mm-hmm. you know, most of my friends. You know, another very influential friend was a was a was a Peace Corps volunteer, Kurt mm-hmm. Leichner who teaches at College of the Desert um, in California. Oh, cool. Um, another one of these world class birders, whose whose life list is kind of like. 3500 birds something crazy (laughs) incredible sorry kurt i don't know what your number is but but yeah he's gonna correct that (laughs) it's either either gonna be there's there's not that many birds or whatever it is um, it is it is very impressive and he's another one of these guys who just like knows every bird um, Wow! and it's super fun to go out with him Um, and so It's just not the kind of birder I am, and a part Mm -hmm. of that is because I I I do have a hard time with my own memory, and so Mm -hmm. um, like I have to really brush up on the warblers when they come through. And I, you know, if I was a lister, I'd spend more time with my face stuffed in a book than I would actually try trying to see the behavior and what they're doing and who they're interacting with.
2: I've definitely experienced that where I'm looking at a bird and I go to try to look it up real quick or something. And then I miss it, you know, and then I hear like a, some kind of cool call and then I miss it, you know, yeah. some, like where's she I gone had this, or, yeah.
3: you know, everybody else sees something amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and your, your face is in the book. And so I'm like,
2: I shouldn't have been, I should have just stayed in the moment. Just, yeah. yeah. Um, I really liked when I lived in West Virginia because I had no cell service there. So yeah. when I would go out, I would be totally immersed. And then now that I'm kind of back in, I call it civilization, but um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just a place where they, I have, you know, cell service if I walk out of my house, um, I find myself kind of on my phone a little too much when I'm out in, in the nature and missing out a little more.
3: Well, there are some apps that are fantastic to, mm-hmm. to keeping a phone with you, um, and, you know, one of them is called BirdNet, and it's in beta form right now. It, it might okay. be a little bit more advanced, huh. but you can record a bird who's nearby, and you um, Run the analysis and um, they've recorded so many of, of all of the species and they have so many examples um, in their database that it will compare what you just recorded on your phone to that oh, database wow. and give you um, to what I found at this point about 90 plus percent accuracy. Um, awesome. Will tell you who who's in front of you. If you you know the warblers are frustrating because you oh often can't see them at all, and they move yeah. so quickly. They're insectivores, so they're up there, mm-hmm. like frantically getting the insects, and you can't see them very well yeah. <laughs> so so to um to be able to you know determine who who that is um with that app is fantastic another one that, that drew's had a lot to do with is called the merlin bird id mm-hmm. and you can take a really lousy picture it's like facial recognitions it uses artificial intelligence um to identify birds with even a very, very low-res image, um, it will identify a bird for you. So all of the LBJ, the little brown jobs that are so difficult to tell (laughs) the difference between, um, you know, they have these algorithms that, you know, they know where those different spots, light and dark spots and beak shape and all of that stuff is on these birds and the relationship between eye and bill. And, wow. you know, how big is the bill versus the head? It goes through all of that and gives you, again, up to 90 percent accuracy what these species are. Um, wow. And so they actually can be really useful for, for science um, as, as well as for the casual birds
2: yeah that um that's incredible technology and that's awesome that that that's out there it is um, I'll definitely have to use that because I'm definitely when I just see a little brown bird sometimes I don't even pursue it too much with identification because I'm like it's gonna be too difficult
3: <laughs> yeah yeah
2: absolutely
3: yeah i mean the the the, the sparrows are very difficult oh yeah um, yeah the the female warblers yeah. there're' they're yep. so many. And you know, if you do go about it, it I'm not going to be frustrated no matter what. Which is kind mm-hmm. of the cinematographer's like, if I was frustrated that like the number of times I've gotten to a field site and the the scientists will say you should have been here yesterday. <laughs> because the most amazing day happened um that's kind of my philosophy of life it just doesn't matter because you're still going to see amazing stuff it doesn't matter if you got that bird or not if you, right you know you can come to an area you know don't be disappointed by not seeing you like, just be happy by what you did see and how exactly. blessed we are you know there are a lot of sad stories and you know 50 percent of our of our, you know, birds now are in serious, serious trouble. So yeah. rather than despairing, you know, let's do something about it. Let's go mm-hmm. out and start supporting, um, you know, local conservation. Let's start mm-hmm. building this. Uh, the, the, the Doug Tallamy model is, um, you know, create in our backyards something the size of a national park in your county. Yeah, you know, and. Yep. It is amazing. As soon as we put, my wife and I put the stream in front, and we planted New York's only native cactus in front. So we, we, oh. we planted some really, um, you know, luckily I'm very good friends with, with people at the local university, ES, SUNY ESF, who, you know, steered me in the right direction. Um, there's another group called Wild Ones. Um, it's, mm-hmm. it's Habitat Gardening. Um, so look up wild ones and they will steer you in the direction of where to get native plants responsibly because you don't want to just go out and collect them from the wild because right. there's a lot of no-nos in that. A lot of people are propagating these. Not only do you help by buying them mm-hmm. to help these businesses thrive, you're helping nature from subsoil, soil, right through to, you know, the, the birds and mammals um, yep. by planting these native plants. And we get people now who've changed their route on their walk, their daily walk, to come by our house so that they can walk on the world's shortest nature trail, cross the bridge,
0: <laughs> <That's> <laughs> look so at the cool. cactus,
3: look at the different, you know, insect species. You know, we could have had mm-hmm. this entire conversation with an entomologist talking yeah. about the amazing insects that, like, I can get 25 species of, of butterfly in the yard in one day. Wow. hundreds of species of bees there are four thousand species of bees in the americas and most people just think of a honeybee which yeah. is not native which is not native yeah <laughs> managed for the local native species who yep. play a much more important role in pollinating our food than mm-hmm. the honeybee yep. and you know as soon as you start that journey and you know this this um Talk about spawning and, and generating interest. The stream in the front yard has spawned three additional streams in the neighborhood by people. I've got to have great. this in my yard. Yep. And then they start buying native plants. And, you know, I propagate a lot and I, I give the seeds away. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a bunch of milkweed. Milkweed, monarch butterflies, that's a no-brainer. Yep. Um, they grow easily. They're beautiful. And, I mean, what's more fun than finding you know, a Monarch chrysalis or a Monarch, oh my you know, God. any lepidoptera. you know, any yeah, of them are fantastic. Incredible. Swallowtail, whatever. Yes. It, yep. You know, this could be a, a conversation about insects and be just as much fun. Yep.
2: Yeah. Uh, maybe that's my spinoff podcast, dirty, dirty bugs or something. Dirty buggy. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I, uh, when I was in West Virginia, we just had a, um, uh, grass yard and I, um, uh, tilled part of it and, uh, got heirloom, um, seeds online, wildflower seeds, um, which was pretty cheap and, um, and, uh, planted those. And I mean, one, the flowers were amazing when they came up and two, um, I noticed the insect life was incredible. I remember at one point a praying mantis must have laid eggs or all these baby tiny praying mantises everywhere. I was like, I was like, I've never even seen this before. And, just the variety of, of stuff that you get once you once you yeah just make it natural
3: <laughs> make it natural well the, the bees alone the the metallic green bees that come to my yard they they are phenomenal and you know most people think um, you know bees are scary because of the sting the vast mm-hmm. majority are stingless and they yeah. come in sizes from you know as big as my thumb which is mm-hmm. just like amazing, (laughs) um, to as tiny as a pinhead, like you can barely with a macro lens, you know, even get a view of them. And, but each one of them is playing a part in that circle of life and the loss of any one of them, um, the, the results of that loss could be catastrophic. And we don't even know those catastrophes are happening. And that's why, you know, it's not too late. Take Mm -hmm. action. You know, yep. one of my favorite stories again in Nebraska. Jane gave a talk about her, you know, Roots and Shoots, um, her youth organization that that's around the planet um, to get kids involved in nature. And there was a group um, from Grand Island, um, a, a, a science teacher, and the kids saw this talk and said, "We're going to go for this." Mm-hmm. And now, something like 12, 15 years later, they are teaching the local community about habitat gardening about native plants the importance of native plants um you know and all that dead space between the sidewalk and the road yeah they've planted pollinator gardens in those they've been so successful um, and they've partnered with um, the university of nebraska for knowledge that they're actually giving seminars on how to attract native bees to your yard so leave open space leave bare ground there are a lot of burrowing bees that you know a, a lawn is like concrete to most native mm-hmm. species Yep. They need bare, you know, kind of sandy loam soil to bear, to, to go in and, and reproduce. Um, a lot of, of bees um, are solitary bees who just need a little hole in a tree. So they teach people how to make great bee habitat um, for both um, the, the pollinating flowers yep. and nesting habitat. And so it's great. I, I wouldn't film these, you know... 10, 12, 14 year olds teaching (laughs) um, adult classes about how to manage for a more beautiful, sustainable, and, and um, hopeful and helpful backyard. And, um, you know, it's, it's great. And so, you know, they, they are my kind of shining example of what, um, what kids can do and and how they can get involved. Um, And, and, you know, in this case, Roots and Shoots is all about making the world a better place for people, animals, and the environment. And, you know, habitat gardening does all three. It, it exactly. really does. Um, we need these trees. We need these big mature trees that we're planting now. And don't think about it. Well, it's, it's so little and so small. Think about what it's going to look like, you know, 50 years from now, 100, yeah, 100 from years from now. You know, yep. think beyond my lifetime. And yep. so, you know, if there's a yucky old piece of land out there that, that sells for not very much manage it for a 500 year plan. And, you know, you've mm-hmm. really done something for your both local human community and what local wild community, yep. you know, and, and it's just by, you know, learning a little bit about the native species, you know, what plants are, what what tree species are beneficial, what flowering species are beneficial. Um, and, yeah, you know, it just all goes from there.
2: Yeah. I mean, you know, with climate change, everything sometimes, and, uh, you know, companies big oil spills like can sometimes just seem like too much and and really you know just bum you out but you know these are things that we can do these are this is optimism like uh
3: and uh i I love it i love it all and and these
2: are some great ideas
3: (laughs) good good yeah no i i I have a feeling we could make this podcast be like gone with the wind (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) um uh, like epically long but um oh yeah yeah, let's Anything else you want to talk about? I mean...
2: I think we covered a lot. We Um, we did cover a lot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm starting to get a little hungry over here, but um, I was love talking with you yeah maybe we can plan something again sometime and sure, uh, sure. i know that you have probably just endless stories um and i have certainly some endless questions on, uh, <laughs> on a lot of the work that you've done <laughs> but um it was awesome talking to you is there anything um that you want to uh, promote or anything like that before we uh finish up our
3: conversation um i, I... Just inadvertently, you know, gave shout outs to you <laughs> yeah. know, the people who've been really influential in my life. I, I guess another one would be, you know, Project Puffin and, and you know, the, the kindness of Steve Kress um, and, you know, his work um, in getting the, the um, breeding island birds around the world, um, you know, habitat and and bringing back their nesting habitat. Um, he took us out to um, Egg Island um, off the coast of Maine and we got to spend a day, you know, filming and photographing the puffins. Um, the Atlantic Puffin is, is another one of those species. Um, yeah. Just just absolutely mind-blowing um, um, and, and so much fun. Uh, you know, and, and Steve and, the, and their work is fantastic. Um, yeah, definitely check out Roots and Shoots and the Jane Goodall Institute because, will, like, yeah. like, Jane so cool. is still at it. Um, oh, yeah. Just doing the <laughs> most remarkable, you know, if you're down, listen to one of her Hopecasts yeah Um, it's all about um turning all this negativity on its head and saying there is there are way more great stories there are Mm -hmm. way more great people than there are people who are doing harm and and negative stories um the negative stories get the press but you know there there's a lot of really really neat stuff going on so um yeah check check out that work um um, and I, I guess just, you know, get involved in, yep. you know, locally in, in habitat management and you're doing the bird world and the insect world and the human communities a, a huge favor. So get involved. Get involved, people. <laughs>
2: <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Bill. It was awesome talking with you. This is awesome. Thanks so much.
3: Take care.
0: Bye-bye. Dirty Bird Podcast is brought to you by me, John and our rotating panel of guests and co-hosts. Thanks, everyone, for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Our logo is made by T.J. Ronoski, with inspiration from my beautiful fiance, Lauren. Love you, babe, even though you don't listen to the show. Our intro music is by Ricky Bastone, and our outro is by the Sidewalk Slammers. Find them wherever you get your music. Send listener mail, to dirtybirdpodcast at gmail.com or find us on instagram at dirtybirdpodcast we're also on facebook youtube reddit you name it dirty bird's been there